You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Father's Dream, Part 5. Enjoy. Hallelujah. And that's what we're talking about, the Father's Dream. Hi, Facebook. How you doing? We're live on Facebook. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to the winter wonderland of Highway Church. And we're talking about the Father's Dream. And many people don't realize that God has dreams, just like we have dreams. God has ambitions. God has a a passion that moves him. And the chief passion of his heart is to have an intimate relationship with you. And we said last week that although the way that God treats us, it's like we're the only person around. He loves us with such a specific, intimate love. But the truth is, we're not the only person. (laughs) That God wants an intimate relationship with you and the person next to you and the people you work with. Really? Yeah, he does. Yeah, and the people who are waiting on you when you're shopping, right, and at restaurants. God wants an intimate relationship with people. And let's pull up John 17, 3. This is our promise for December. It's Jesus telling us what's been given to us, eternal life, what that means. This is the Passion Translation. This is what, G- what God wants, people to know and experience him every day. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God and to know and experience Jesus Christ as the son whom you've sent. That's the father's dream, that men and women and young people and children would experience him every single day of their lives for the rest of their lives, that they would know how good he is, that they would know that he's not a performance-based God, he's not checking things off of his list, that his heart is available to them, that his resources have been made available to them through Jesus And that's why the church, the local church, is so important. Because the church is supposed to be um, God's ambassadors. We're we're God's vessels in the earth. And for those who have not been here, we, we say at Highway Church, we don't come to church anymore. We stopped coming to church. We became the church. We put our faith in Christ because we know Jesus didn't come to bring people into religion. He came to bring us into a relationship. So we're going to get into what church really means today. But before we do that, I want to encourage you as you're coming on Sunday to be listening to the Holy Spirit as to how you can encourage one another. Because these times together, we don't just do this for fun or to, to check something off our list. This is a special time where we're corporately gathering in a public place. We left our homes, our cozy, warm beds, you know, and we came here and we're, we're together now. So encourage one another. Look around. Get to know the people who are here. It's no coincidence at all that you're here. God is bringing people here who want more Jesus. So listen, listen on the inside how you can encourage one another. Hey, you see someone say, hey, let's grab a coffee after service. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right over there. (laughs) Or you just get together, get to know one another, encourage one another. You will discover treasures in each other because the Lord has brought us together. All right? Hallelujah. God, you're so good. So we saw in this series the father's dream was born in Genesis We saw it was broken in Genesis, and and recently we've been looking at the rebirth of his dream through Jesus and through us. So the Father's dream has been born again through Jesus 
and, and through us, through man. Last week we looked at, we, we looked at uh, two prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, because we saw that in order for God to get, uh, to restore relationship, with man, he had to send his son into the earth. The word of God had to become flesh. And in order for that to happen, he needed men and women, the prophets of the Old Testament, to speak his word into the earth. If the prophets wouldn't have believed and spoken God's word, Jesus couldn't have come. Pretty amazing. But they did. Thank God the prophets listened to him. And he came into the earth. And let's see, where are we going to pick up here? Well, speaking of the prophets, well, who is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets? Of the Old Testament. Someone said Jeremiah. Someone, John the Baptist. Old Testament. Is he Old Testament? He is, isn't he? Yeah. It wasn't really a trick question. Yeah, John the Baptist. Jesus said he was the greatest. Do you know anything prior to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, his Old Testament? Yeah. Testament means covenant, right? You have a New Testament, a New Covenant, an Old Testament, an Old Covenant. So the New Covenant wasn't put into effect until Jesus rose from the dead and presented himself before the Father in the heavenly tabernacle. Isn't that awesome? So yeah, you know what John uh, thought of himself as? He called himself something. They came to him and they said, John, they said, are, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? He said, nope. They said, are you Elijah? He said, nope. Are, are you the prophet that's going, nope. What did he say? I am the voice. <laughs> the voice. He understood his role to speak and believe the word of God. The greatest of all the prophets. So when Jesus heard the voice speaking, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus hit his red button. He spun around in his leather chair. And he said, John, I want you on my team. Because you're believing and speaking the word. Guess what? Think of yourself as a voice. When you believe the word of God and you speak it with your mouth, God hits his big red button and he turns around and he says, You're on my team. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want to move through you in the earth. The voice, I like that. So the prophets, believing and speaking the word of God is not something unique to the prophets. It's something we all do now, okay? Now, interesting to note that Jesus, even though he became flesh and did what he did, he was not the fulfillment of the Father's dream. He was the means for the, for the fulfillment of the Father's dream. He was the means for the dream to be accomplished. It was through Jesus that the Father's dream was fulfilled. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going we're to look in, in, at the uh, church. Boy, this is so good. Part of exalting Jesus is realizing how important you are. <laughs> Did what he just say? Part of exalting Jesus is realizing how important you are. Now, this is different than religion. Religion say, well, okay, you can exalt him from afar as long as you know you're a cockroach. <laughs> right? And I love that pretty song that we sing. It's, it's beautiful. Jesus at the center of it all. And Jesus at the center of it all. 
From beginning to the end Will always be, will always be you Jesus, Jesus And we worship him But you know, I, I thought, I was thinking about this preparing this week You know what he would sing when, if he would sing to you? Don't you know that I did it all for you? Don't you know I did it all for you? From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, I love you dearly. I did it all for you. So his attention is all about you. He's not concerned that he gets enough glory. All glory is his. There's nothing insecure about him. What he is concerned about is you realizing how much he loves you. So this is part of exalting Jesus. The dream of the Father was born again when Jesus rose from the dead. He was the firstborn. He was the beginning of the Father's dream. When Jesus rose from the dead, he started a brand new family. And let's look at that in Romans chapter 8. This is a dream of the Father, to have a brand new family in the earth of men and women and young people and children who are full of Jesus, who are full of God's love. The love of God's been shed abroad in our heart, who are full of God's strength and wisdom and joy and peace. Romans 8.29 says this, For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, right, of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the what? The firstborn among many brethren. Wow, I like how the Living Bible says it. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him should become like his son. That means we treat people like Jesus treated them. Right? We love people like Jesus loved them. So that his son would be the first with many brothers. The message translation. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He declined, excuse me, he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Wow. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And that's his resurrection, the resurrected Jesus. Boy, that's so good. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to shift a little bit in your thinking. As you're exalting Jesus, know that he's now your elder brother. You're like him now. He lifted us up and made us like him. Not when we get to heaven now. I know we still have mortal bodies, but there is a, a new spirit inside of us. We're born of heaven now. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. In fact, are you ready to just jump out of your seat? This is about you. This is the Father's dream, that his fullness would be in you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Religious goggles are off, right? Religious headphones are off. 
as he is the head, that's Jesus, as Jesus is the head of the body, the church, that's you and me, and we're going to get into that word church in just a little bit. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? The reason God says he was first, because he wasn't the last. You came, right? That in all things, Jesus might have the preeminence. Now look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in who? Jesus, right? Should all fullness dwell. Now, here's a, a Bible study tip. Anytime you're reading the New Testament and you see those two words, in Him, grab it. Okay. Or in Christ. Okay. Why is that important to us? Because where is Jesus living? In you. So whatever is in him is where? In you. Hallelujah. Right? Well, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. It's exactly what it says. Verse 9. There it is. For in Christ. Grab it. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What? Where's Jesus live? In you. Look at verse 10. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Without a doubt, I can say assuredly, most believers do not think this way. They think like they're cockroaches. And we'll exalt God from afar, but boy, we're just miserable sinners. No, we're not. We're not sinners anymore. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. His light is in us now. His love is in us now. How about the New American Standard? Verse 10. Uh, let's see. Colossians 2.10. Is that it? There we go. And in him, grab it, because he's in you. In him, you have been made complete. Wow. Are you getting this? Isn't this good? We're just reading the Bible. Best thing you could do. Believe it. Speak it. Look at the Amplified, verse 9 and 10. For in him, grab it. The whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression to the divine nature. Yea for Jesus, and yea for us. Verse 10, and you are in him, made full, and having come to fullness of life in Christ. You too are filled with the Godhead. <laughs> Talk about too much. Wow. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and reach full spiritual stature. I don't know if your seatbelts are on, but listen, we see in the scriptures the Christian life is not about us striving to try and become something. 
It's about us simply realizing who we've already become because of Jesus. Who we already are in Christ now. I challenge you to begin when you think of yourself to say, I'm filled with the fullness of God. You start to feel a symptom come in your body. No, I'm filled with the fullness of God and there's no room for you in here. I don't have room in me for flu or sickness or cancer or any other disease because I'm filled with the fullness of God and there's not a centimeter left for anything else to fill. I'm filled with the fullness of God. Come on. I'm filled with the fullness of See yourself full. I'm filled with the fullness of God. I'm filled with the fullness of God. I'm filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Now we understand 1 John 4, 17. Let's pop that up there. If you just want to knock the religious boat right out of the water. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. This is, this is it. Because as he is, we someday will be. That's not what it says. Why do people teach that? The Bible doesn't teach that. As he is, so are we in heaven. In this world now. This will absolutely change the way you live. As he is, so are we in this world, we're filled with the fullness of the Godhead. We're complete in Him. We're not sinners struggling, trying to please an angry God. We're His sons and daughters, full and overflowing with His presence and Spirit. He's pleased because of Jesus. It's time to know who you are. Not who you were or who you think you're going to be. Who you are now. You're beautiful. You're complete. Yes. You've arrived. Yes. Thank you, Lord. I'm not talking about there's not room for us to improve and grow. I'm not saying that, that, that we've achieved it all. But that in Christ we're complete. Amen. Yes. And that's why the devil is no match for you. Right. If you know this. Yes. If you don't, he can do all kinds of things in your life. But if you know who you are, he's no match for you. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jesus rises from the dead. The Father's dream has been reborn. He ascends unto the Father. And then in Acts chapter 2, something wonderful happens. 120 people are full of the Holy Spirit, begin praying in other tongues. They're baptized in the Spirit. And it, in one day, it goes from 120 to three, over 3,000. Isn't that wonderful? The Father's dream is alive in the earth. And the quote-unquote church is born all right let's get into this word church church i don't know how's that word make you feel how important is it to be a participating member of a local church don't i don't want to talk about this if it, words are funny. Aren't words funny? 
Like, let's, let's take the word church since we're talking about church. Words have connotations to them. And the connotations often don't have anything to do with the real meaning of the word. The connotations come from our experiences, right? So I hear a word like church, and I can get all kinds of feelings and ideas, not based on what the word really means, but based on my experiences in churches. And boy, I'm sure we could swap some doozies, right? We've all been on planet Earth for a little while. And, and the church I grew up in, man, was a cold place. I mean, the only reason I went is I knew my dad would whoop us if we didn't. So I was there, drugged there, but man, the sat on hard, cold pews, the floor was marble, the ceilings were high, and they just seemed so cold and far away. I didn't learn about relationship with Jesus. I didn't learn who I was in Christ. We just recited the same thing every Sunday, and I just sat there thinking, this is cold. This is empty. There's got to be something better than this. But that wasn't church. I was going to a quote-unquote church. I mean, I've had things done to me in church that I wouldn't want to repeat, that hurt, Amen. by pastors. So I want to encourage you to not let past offenses, past hurts, trap you. We're going to break through the connotations of this word and any other word, and we're going to get to the real meaning of it. Because when a word triggers feelings or, or past memories in me, I want to, I want to, that are not good, I want to remove those. We forgive and we move on. Amen. Right? We don't hold anything against anyone, no matter what they've done. But we want, the truth sets us free. Amen. So we don't want to let our past feelings and experiences trap us and keep us from experiencing the real thing. Because real church will change your life. Real church will heal you, will set you free, will cause you to prosper and to be in health. Real church. Not, not, not religion. Now, interesting, when we first moved to Rhode Island, Jennifer, do you realize in about 10 days, it'll be 22 years, 1995, we came December of 95 to Rhode Island, and we came, we were living in Europe prior to that, and... Uh, we were from western Pennsylvania initially, and we were looking for a church, and we met different people, and I remember meeting this one guy. I mean, this guy read the Bible a lot, and he, he considered himself a Bible scholar, and he told me, he said, you know, the word church means called out. So he said, so we really shouldn't meet in buildings anymore. We've been called out from that. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, yeah, he said, in the Bible, they didn't meet in buildings. They met in homes. Now, thankfully, I had read the Bible, and I was reading it uh, regularly in my life, and I, I knew what he was saying was, was off. But this was what this guy believed, and many people uh, feel that way, and they feel that way not because it's true, but because they've been hurt in a church. Maybe they were overlooked. Maybe someone said something to them they didn't say or didn't say something they should say because we're all people, right? There's no church where everyone does everything right. And if you're looking for that, then you're an ignorant person because you're not going to find it, okay? We're looking for Jesus, right? More Jesus. So he said this to me, and I thought, isn't that interesting? So his, his basic conclusion, you know, that there shouldn't be any Christians coming to a, a church, a building, 
on a regular basis. Now, Acts is one of my favorite books. And if you actually look at the birth of the New Testament church in Acts, they were so excited about the gospel that Peter preached to them. It says they gladly received it, these 3,000, 3120. They were so excited about it, it said they devoted themselves continually to the doctrine, to the good news. And they met daily. This is in Acts chapter 2. You can read it for yourself. We don't have time to read it all. They met daily in the temple. <laughs> you imagine that? Every day, let's go have church, right? Let's go worship God together. And they worshiped, and they, they heard the gospel preached. Daily. And they went from home to home breaking bread. That's what it says. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, there was a time when persecution broke out against the church. And they were scattered. And there were places they could not meet publicly because they would have been taken to prison or executed. There are places like that in the world today. Thank God we don't live in a country that does that. Right? That we can meet publicly and freely and worship the Lord. So what is this word, church? What in the world does it mean? Because I want every, every wrong thought to be brought into captivity to the truth of Jesus Christ because I want freedom. That's how we destroy strongholds, right? We rise above what we've been through by knowing the truth. We get set free from our past by embracing truth, not by hiding, right, or running away. That's what Jesus said in, in John. I won't read it. We don't have time. But he said that if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples. You'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. You won't make yourself free by working harder. Just abiding in me, knowing, hearing my truth, believing it, speaking, will produce freedom in you. It's so good. So the local church is to be a place of liberty. It's a place where people are come and they're built up in the word of God. Yes. The liberating truth of Jesus. And there are three things everyone needs to know and hear. And this is what we specialize in at Highway Church. Who God truly is. The real Jesus. Who he is. What he's already accomplished for us. And who we are in him. That's the foundation of what we do here who Jesus is, what he's already accomplished for us, and who we are now in him. If you will abide in these three realities, you will live a life of liberty and wholeness. Any problem that you face can be solved by simply understanding these three things. Who he is, what he's already accomplished for us, and who you are now in him. There isn't a problem that doesn't cover. But so many don't know the depth of these three things. But that's what the church is. It's a place where people can come and learn that. But let's get into the real definition of the word. Are you ready? So we're forgetting about past experiences. It's a new day. The past is behind us. So this word, well, that's an English word, church. But the New Testament wasn't written in English, was it? What was it written in? Greek. By Greeks? No, by Hebrews, right? Okay. But they use this Greek word, ecclesia. I don't know how to say it, but E-K-K, ecclesia. Yeah, I'm not sure. L-E-S-I-A. It means to, to the, the ones who are called out, a calling out, uh, or the called out ones, 
But now, what's interesting about this word, the Greeks use this word as a body of citizens who were called out from their homes to meet publicly and discuss the affairs of state. That was the ecclesia, or ecclesia, the church. That's how the Greeks used it. People who were called out of their homes to publicly gather and discuss the affairs of state. Interesting. So I, I've done pages and studies on this, and I really, it, it really is a, a, a great word to study. But the root of this word, uh, ecclesia, or ecclesia, ek, it means the point where action takes place, where, where motion happens, where movement and participation happen. It's being called to a point of action. It's being called into participation. So what does it mean as far as believers in Christ? Well, we're not here to discuss the affairs of state. Some churches think that's their purpose, but that's not our purpose. We're to discuss the kingdom. Okay? That's what we're here for. We're calling out from the world's way of thinking into God's way of thinking. That's what we're called out from. We're called out from darkness into light. We're called out from the power of Satan to the power of God. Amen. We're the church. We're the called out ones. Okay? It's not a building. That's why you can meet in a karate studio. Doesn't matter where you meet. Right? We meet publicly. We meet in homes. We can meet in, in uh, coals. Doesn't matter. Wherever we go, there's church. Right? So we don't see church as a building. We see church as people full of Jesus, who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, who are called out from the power of Satan to the power of God, who are called to, out of the world's way of thinking into his way of thinking. So the church is a place where people can come and experience Jesus, right? Where is the first time that the word church appears in the New Testament? Anybody know? Let's go there. It's in Matthew chapter 16. Another Bible study tip. The first time a word appears in the Bible, study it. What is the context of it? That's very important because it sets the standard for the, rest of the, for the rest of the scriptures. It's called the principle of first in Bible study. So in Mark chapter 16, oh, excuse me, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 16. How are we doing it? Okay, we're doing good on time. I want to make sure I have time to do this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus is, is teaching. He's traveling with his disciples. In verse 5, it says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to get bread from Amaral's bakery. <laughs> then Jesus said to them, Take heed. And beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, so they're thinking of literal bread, right? Jesus is using a word that's associated with bread, but he's using it figuratively. All right, very important. He's not talking about real bread at all. So it's because we've taken no bread. He's mad at us, right? Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O ye of little faith, or little burst of faith, 
Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you've brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves? Now he's talking about real bread. Of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? That's 2018, two mats, right? How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? Let's break this down. So prior to this little moment here, right, they saw Jesus feed on at least two occasions thousands of people with just a, a, a small amount. He took the small amount they had, he blessed it, and thanked God for his provision, and it multiplied, and they fed thousands of people. So they, but they didn't get that. So here they are. They don't have any bread. And they're like, oh, no. He's mad. You know? I mean, he fed all those thousands of people, but he can't feed 12 of us. Right? He says, don't you remember what I've done? Don't you know who I am? Don't you remember how abundantly I provide when there's a need? I'm not talking about that. How is it you don't understand that I'd not speak to you concerning bread? but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What's this have to do with church? A lot. Hang in there. The leaven, what's he talking about? The teaching that they were hearing in the temples. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine, the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus is comparing bread that we eat with words that we hear and believe. Because what you hear and believe is bread to you. Doesn't mean it's good bread. Depends on what you're hearing and what you're believing. You could be hearing and believing moldy bread. We had a <laughs> container of cheese this morning. Jennifer gave us a throw this in the garbage. Let's see it was moldy and had been in our garage refrigerator probably for centuries, but... We got rid of that in a hurry because it was moldy and a little nasty, right? But you need to recognize, what are you hearing? Is it moldy and bad for you? Jesus compares what we hear to what we eat. The words you hear and believe are bread to you. What did Jesus say? I'm the bread of life. What's he talking about? What he taught. He didn't want them to eat his ribs. He wanted them to believe in what he demonstrated, right? He said, listen to everything I'm saying and take it inside of you. Believe it and speak it, and you'll experience life. I'm the bread of life. The words you hear and believe should agree with the person of Jesus, okay? So when you're going to a church, in fact, you need to go to a church where you're hearing words that agree with the person and ministry of Jesus Amen. if you want life. You shouldn't be hearing at the church you're going to that God took your child because he had some divine purpose in it. That doesn't agree with the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus saw a mother who had lost his son, he went over to the casket and raised him up. Amen. That's the heart of Jesus. He raises the dead. He doesn't steal, kill, and destroy. But many people are eating moldy bread every Sunday. They're being told that God is allowing these tragedies and things to happen in the earth, but he's not. That doesn't agree with the person and ministry of Jesus. God's not allowing these things in the earth. 
Jesus taught us that Satan was the God of this world. And through faith in Christ, we can take authority over him and live as kings reigning in life through Jesus Christ. You know what you're eating. Uh, a friend showed me a book that, that I had recommended, and I hadn't read it since 96, and they said, you know, in this chapter in here, you know what it says? I went, I don't remember that. That's not, that's not Jesus. I said, well, I'm going to go look at my original copy at home because it said some things in there about God disciplining us with sickness. I went, what? Would you do that to your child? You know, he hasn't done his chores for three weeks, so I'm going to give him the flu. What a good father. These things that people are eating are moldy and bad for them. And they're hearing them and they're eating them. God doesn't do things like this. Right? Satan is the God of this world. So the church is to be God's bakery. Serving fresh, hot Jesus. Fresh, hot Jesus every time you come in the door. That's what we eat here. The fresh, hot Jesus that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. We don't know any other Jesus. If he did it, we believe it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come get some fresh, hot Jesus. Jesus, here. Jesus, here. Verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Remember, he's talking about the, the, the beware of what you hear and believe. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And here's the question, because it really doesn't matter what other people think. Who do you say that I am? What do you personally believe about Jesus? This is where it where makes all the difference. What's in your heart? Now, the Holy Spirit opens Peter's eyes. And Simon Peter answers and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a revelation from heaven. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Holy Ghost. But my Father, who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there we have the first use of the word church in verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. Now I want to tell you some moldy bread that I got growing up. All right, let's look at this verse. What is Jesus saying? He said, what you just shared, Peter, was a revelation from the Father. Right? You didn't, you didn't drum that up through your, your schooling, through your works. God opened the eyes of your heart. And he showed you this. And then he says to them, and, and you don't get it in the English, but what was the New Testament written in? Greek by Hebrews, right? He said, and I say to you that you are Peter. And that word there in the Greek is Petros. was used as a name, but it literally means a, a, a small stone that you can hold in your hand that you can throw. He said, you're a, you're a small stone. You know, you're, you're Peter, okay? But upon this Petra rock, 
That's a different Greek word altogether. What is a Petra? A massive bedrock that you can build a house on. Very different than Peter. So he said, upon this Petra, this massive bedrock, it's the same word he used in Matthew 7. We talked about the man who built his house in the sand and the man who built his house on the Petra. Well, what's the Petra? Yeah, someone said it. Jesus. The Petra is in verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The bedrock to build the church is built on is the revelation of who Jesus is. I was told it was built on Peter. Oh boy, we're in trouble if that's the case. Right? Because he denied Jesus three times. Right? So we know it wasn't built on him. Right? No, he said the revelation of who I really am, I'm going to build a, a, a multitude of people that know me. I'm going to call people out from the world into an intimate relationship with me. And they're going to know me as I am. They're going to know who I am. They're going to know what I've accomplished for them. And they're going to know who they are in me. That's what the church is built on. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Upon this revelation of who I am, I'm going to build a family of people. And hell can't stop them. <laughs> what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Does Peter got them up at the pearly gates? Huh? And we're going to go see Peter. I need a key so I can get into heaven. I'm not, I, I, I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just saying the things that people have accepted over the years is moldy bread. It's not Jesus. No, what are the keys? The revelation of Christ is the key that unlocks the kingdom. Jesus is the key that opens the door to the presence of God in your life. Right? It's through Christ that we can bind. It's through Christ that we can set free. Right? That we can forbid and permit is what those words mean. God, you're so good. So this is who we are. We're the church. We're people who know who Christ is. We have a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the risen Savior of the world, that he's our Lord, that he bore our sicknesses, he carried our diseases, he bore our sins, and he's given us his righteousness. Hallelujah. All right, let's wrap it up with this scripture. God is so good. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12. This is us. Thank you, Lord. It's good to know what the church is all about, right? Yes. People who know Jesus. So you can be going to a church and not be the church, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. You can have a membership in a fancy, sophisticated, you know, 100-year-old church, 200, 300, 400-year church, and not be the church. Right. The church is those who know him. By the same token, you can be out in the middle of nowhere and be the church because you know him, Right? Romans chapter 12, this is what we're doing. We're changing the way we think. We're called to do this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world's way of thinking, right? But be transformed by God's way of thinking by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Is it good if God makes us sick or is that bad? Yeah. 
Yeah, so let's renew our mind and stop saying stuff like that. Right? So, we can, so people can know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right? You've got something wrong in your thinking to believe that sickness is good. There's nothing good about it. God didn't send it. He didn't create it. It's a part of the curse of sin. He redeemed us from it through Jesus. Right? God is good. So it's changing the way you think that enables us to demonstrate to the world around us how good he is. Right? Let's read it in the message, then we'll be done. The message, chapter 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. He's your strength. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. That's the church, everywhere you go. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you. Not what you do for him. What he does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Oh, I like that. That's so good. Wow, is that different than religion, huh? Religion's all about what you do for him. You got to do more. You got to do more. No, he said, embrace what I've done for you. It's the best thing you can do for me. <laughs> Verse 2. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. And quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Hallelujah. How do you become mature in Christ? Focus on what he's done for you, not on what you've done for him. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this time together. Woo! We're so thankful, God. You've made us your sons and your daughters. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You love us so much. You love us so much. Jesus, we embrace you. We let go of the past, and we wrap our arms around you. We're not looking back. We want more of you and you alone. Thank you, Lord. Open our eyes wider, the heart, that our hearts would know you as you are, that we'd see you clearly, Jesus, that we wouldn't eat moldy bread anymore. But we need that fresh, hot revelation of life abundantly that you came to give us, Lord. That we would know how good you are. That we wouldn't accept things that people hear no matter how well-known they are. No matter what, what qualifications they may have. Lord, that we would accept Jesus and Jesus alone. That he would be the bread we eat in our everyday wake up, go to work, travel, do what we need to do, life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for leading us deeper into you. It's so good. It's just so good to know you, to live in your bakery and eat fresh, hot Jesus every day. Hallelujah. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.